Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. We are going to... Talk some Yankee baseball here because it's a big week for the Yankees. Aaron Judge pursuing history. We'll be joined by a good friend of the podcast, one of the big voices on Yankee Twitter, Dan Federico. We're going to talk all about the Yankees, see where they stand heading into this weekend with the Red Sox, and as they get ready for the postseason run here, see what they could do, you know, get this roster in shape as they get ready for October. That's coming up just a bit. Let's do our week three NFL picks with Nick Friella, big Giants fan. So we're going to... Talk all about that. Make our picks. As well as the Giants, 2-0 start here. We'll talk about that in a bit as well. Make sure you're locking into this two-minute drill. Talk about the Robert Sarver situation, how he's selling the Suns now after getting basically shamed by the league and all that stuff. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. If you're here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. My whole episode's there. Feel free your feedback and starring as well to help make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. Video version of the conversation with Nick and Dan are up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to talk about the best victory Monday New York has had in a long time. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. Talk about the New York football teams, and this is absolutely stunning weekend over here. We had the perfect victory Monday in New York, which almost never happens. Think about this. Not only the Mets win, not only the Yankees win, which, you know, they win a lot this year. It's not surprising. The Jets and the Giants also won, too. All four of them won on the same day. That's the first time that's happened since September 27, 2009. That is wild. We're talking, at this point, 13 years since these teams have won on the same day, which is insane. But start with the Jets, because that was probably the most unexpected one here. They pull off an absolute stunner in Cleveland. They were close to most of this game with the Browns. I mean, they were tied at the half. They were 17 up. Cleveland looked like they to start to pull away. You're saying, okay, you know, here we go. This is a frustrating Jet loss. They're close. They can't pull it out against a team that's good but not great. And we go home 0-2 crisis mode here over again. And there was a lot to complain about this game, obviously. The Jets had some bad whistles go their way. The referees made a lot of calls that went against them. Linebackers are not great. Cleveland ran all over them. Nick Chubb had some huge gains on the ground. But the Browns did leave the door wide over the Jets because they made some uncharacteristic mistakes. Kareem Hunt runs out of bounds prior to two-minute warning of the Browns trying to ice the clock. That stops the clock, saves some precious seconds of the Jets. Then later in the drive, Kareem Hunt, I mean not Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, excuse me, wide open pass in the end zone. Instead of taking the heads-up play, just going down at the two, burning the clock, kicking the field about 20 seconds left, ending the game, he runs in the end zone. And you know what? That gives the Jets extra time. Kate York misses the kick, the PAT. So instead of this being you know 10-point win for the Browns, Jets are down 13, a buck 55 to go. Even with all the six with the Browns, the odds the Jets win that game are very low. In fact, nobody had come up with a 13-point deficit that little time left in the game since 2001. But Jets get the ball. You need a big play to make that happen right away. Joe Flacco hits Corey Davis, 66-yard touchdown. Browns blow coverage. He's running wide open down the sideline. What was the game? Okay. They made it respectable. Now, still going to get the onside kick. The odds of that are low. They get the onside kick. Now it's interesting. Now you have the ball. About a minute 15 to go. You have the 47-yard line of the Jets. You've got 53 yards to go. You have time to do this. Joe Flacco, who's done this plenty of times before, Conley's to drive down the field, hits Garrett Wilson, the go-ahead touchdowns with just over 10 seconds on the clock. Zerline makes the PAT. Jets are up one at that point. 
Cleveland, you know, the whole stadium is in shock. Everybody can't believe it's happening. Browns get the ball back. They're trying to do some desperate tease. And of all people, Ashton Davis picks off Jacoby Brissett. Seals the game. The Jets leave Cleveland one and one, which nobody had in their bigger car going into Sunday. Absolutely nobody had it. I mean, in my pool, I took the Jets to cover the number. I didn't think they would win the game because I was not confident this team could put anything together. But give them credit. They got the job done. That's a massive swing in results for the Jets as well. They were literally staring about two minutes away from 0-2 and another crisis in New York. Instead, they snapped the 13 games of losing streak I talked about last week. That's gone. They're at 500. Zach Wilson's working his way back. He was at practice last week. He's at practice again this week. Said the early, he might be back early next week against Pittsburgh. It'll be interesting to see, but they have Cincinnati coming here Sunday. Bengals are 0-2. They're struggling. They cannot protect Joe Burrow. You need to build momentum here for the Jets. Win that football game. I know Cincinnati is better team talent-wise. They have a better quarterback than Joe Burrow. They are better weapons, but they're struggling. It's a lot of the NFL is when you play teams. They're getting the Bengals when they're down. Take advantage of it and win that game. Let's shift gear to the Giants. We'll do a little more on the Giants. The tick segment with Nick Friday here. They are 2-0 for the first time since 2016. Impressive job by them. Win over Carolina. Not Neil's expiring Tennessee one because this is kind of a close game throughout. Giants made enough plays to win it here. But the thing you like here is that this game had potential trap written all over it because, you know, you had the big emotional win. You come home. This is a game you have to get, okay, do we get a heart full of ourselves? We hear all the press clubs about us. We have Dallas coming without the quarterback. We have Chicago coming in here. We've got 4-0. Do we look ahead of this game? They did not. They were not spectacular overall. But they did have two key things go their way for this game. They forced two turnovers. Plus two turnover margin. That's important in the NFL. They kept the Panthers off the field on third down. They went 2-12 of 12 on third downs. On a day when Carolina outgained the Giants by 10 yards, they ran for 6.3 yards a carry. That's the big difference between a win and a loss. The obviously going to have his issues when Saquon Barkley doesn't dominate. The D should be getting healthy as the season goes on, though. Obviously, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be healthy. Eventually, you're looking at potent, the potential of, you know, Aziz Ojolari getting healthy, too. They should get healthier. The positive here, the most important number of the Giants' ledger here, is the two wins they have. Right now, they're up there with Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. They're the only undefeated teams in the NFC. They have a big two-game stretch coming up here with the Giants. They have the Cowboys coming in Monday night. Minus Dak Prescott. Cowboys did put up a good effort against Cincinnati. They won the game, so they are going to try and stabilize here. Look at this Giants game as an opportunity to, you know, right the ship and keep things steady before Dak comes back. The Bears come in two weeks. The Bears look terrible against Green Bay. Let's be honest. That I think we'll give credit to the Monsoon more for their win over the 49ers than anything else. So look at potentials here. Of you could win both these games. Will you win both these games? Probably not because this is in the NFL and weird things happen here. Can you split them though? You got off the three and one start. You can do that. And there's still a lot of weak games on that schedule here. I mean, you still got, you know, a lot of the AFC South teams. You still have Detroit coming in at some point. You could have an interesting year here if, if you take care of business here and split these next two. But up next, we're going to do our Yankees talk here, getting ready for the rest of the series with the Red Sox right after this. All right, we are back here. Regular season winding down in baseball, and the Yankees are on their way to the playoffs. I clinch as soon as tonight. Joining me today to break it all down, good friend of the podcast, one of the biggest Yankee authorities on Twitter, Dan Federico is here. Dan, how are you? Mike, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me back as always. I got to say, Dan, since the last time we talked, I feel like things have gone in a wildly different direction to this team. Could you, could you imagine three months ago that we went from the high of, oh, this, this team might beat the 98 Yankees in praise to – Oh my God, they might blow the division this span of like two months. It's really interesting because, on one hand, yes, I am very surprised. And, you know, the way they played uh, the first few months of the season, I don't think anybody saw this coming. But I think when you look at it as a bigger picture and you factor in, you know, a lot of this team is holdovers from the, from the last few years. And, and you see how the, the Yankees have been where they have had that Jekyll and Hyde where they, they have good stretches and bad stretches. Now it seems like. They had a really prolonged great stretch and then a really prolonged bad stretch. So that I don't think has ever really happened. But, um, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. But fortunately for Yankee fans, it looks like they're starting to, to get back on that upward swing, which is exactly what you want going into the playoffs. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think anyone actually thought they were going to be as good as they were when they were dominating in April and May and they were going to run away with it. I don't think I thought they were as bad as they were when they were struggling in July and August here. But the question is kind of, so obviously, the really angry somewhere in between those two extremes. What do you think the real versus team actually is that's going to head into October here? What they really going to be the in terms of like as a squad, what they're going to be like? I think that you're, the team that you've been seeing um, these, these last, few games especially at home i mean i know uh they're getting a lot of boost from the fans i was in the stadium uh the other night on uh tuesday so you know the fans are there um obviously everybody's excited for judge but even when you're there it just feels like a postseason atmosphere and i know the yankees get that boost from them and uh it seemed very obvious at the stadium that uh they were feeding off the crowd the crowd was feeding off the team um and that's something that you know in recent years the yankees have found success in the playoffs at yankee stadium um, so I think this team that, especially we've seen this week, is something that you can look to where, okay, they're going to hit ball out of the park, but they're also going to get some good pitching. So um, I think it's been a combination of both, as we've seen all year, and I think that's what's going to translate to the playoffs. Now, could they be shut down? Yes, we've seen that this year, too, where that line just gets shut down, or a starting pitcher just doesn't have it, or the bullpen doesn't have it. You know, anything could happen, but I think you're going to see a team not like as bad as they were after the postseason. Uh, I'm sorry, after the All-Star break but a team these last week or so where they're definitely looking a lot better. Yeah, I know you said you were there Tuesday to see the game. My question is, is this is like, were you, I, I hope you were not one of the uh, half the stadium parent who left before Aaron Judge hit number 60. Mike, you, you follow me on Twitter. Come on, I was one of those guys. I, I, I shouted them out right away. Listen, I said, I, I honestly felt a little disrespected that I, multiple people asked me if I was still there. I wouldn't leave the game if it was 30 nothing pirates and i'm dead serious i just if i'm going to the game i'm saying that's just how i've always been that's how i'll always be it was sad to see like 30 percent of that stadium clear out after the bottom of the eighth knowing that judge had that bat coming up so it was interesting to see that happen i was very surprised um but no i was there 200 level uh watching the game saw that home run got recorded on my phone It it was awesome um, just to be there for that moment. And then obviously it propelled them to one of the biggest comebacks of the year. So um, it was awesome to see in person. But no, I was definitely there. You'll If you ever know that I'm at a Yankee game, just know I'm there until the final pitch. I'm here in New York, New York playing. So, um, yeah, I was there. Yeah, so I definitely wanted to definitely be excited about to see in person. I think it's a really cool experience. In terms of the people who are actually there, though, I mean, I I get that, like, sometimes if it's, like, especially, oh, like, you're driving and whatnot, like, you want to get out of there, but, like, and it's not as a mass transit as a Yankee Stadium. I find it hard to believe that, you know, like, even, like, if you just want to wait and see the at-bat, like, I understand why people just didn't do that. So, oh, if, if, he, if, he has to get, if he has the home run and he misses, great, I'm out. Like, if not, like, okay, let's walk out after he takes the at-bat. I understand what the motivation was there for a lot of these people. Yeah, I mean, if you, last night watching the game, after uh, he walked in that last at-bat, the stadium started to empty out, which, again, I get. But I feel like, especially now, you know, chasing history, it's like I'm not missing anything this guy does when he's standing in the batter's box. So, um, yeah, I was shocked in a negative way. I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, I mean, the stadium got rocking afterwards, but, yeah, the fact that it emptied out that much, it was, was insane to me. Yeah, and now I think the, the big two big questions here coming with Aaron Judge here is, number one, like, we're recording on Thursday. Probably going out on Thursday here. Like, how crazy will this be if we're sitting here tomorrow and we're dealing with the possibility that Aaron Judge could hit the tying or record-breaking home run on Apple TV Plus? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, I can't even think about it because no offense to the people who call those games. Um, it hasn't been the best presentation. Um, it hasn't had the most excitement and you want Michael K to be calling, be calling the game because he's the voice of the Yankees. He's the one who's been there pretty probably called how many of his home runs, 50 of his 60 home runs, you know, 55, whatever it is. Um, it's, it'll be sad, but you know what? It's going to be a great moment regardless. I'm hoping they have um, Kay calling it somewhere. You know John Sterling's going to be calling it on the radio, so at least we'll always have that to look back on. But, I mean, what do you think when MLB just gets, uh, you know, I don't want to say greedy because business is business, but when they get to these TV deals where they're having, you know, people who aren't experienced or don't know the Yankee product as much as, you know, a Michael Kay or the Yes Broadcast booth calling these games, it kind of puts a damper on it, but Regardless, it's still going to be a great moment for Yankees fans and for baseball. Yeah, that would definitely be crazy, whatever it does. I remember a couple of years on the Mets, I think, when Pete Alonso at the 53rd home run to break the Judge rookie record. I think that was it. It's on Fox. I think the Mets, Mets fans sort of had a similar deal. Now we're to the near momentum of 60. 
yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, the way fate has uh, has worked, you know, forever for everybody, it's like that, that that would happen. You know, it's just it would be on Apple TV where you have probably not even half the audience, and it's just it's just the way it'll go. But hopefully, he gets two tonight, and, and you know, ends on a high note. Even though, like you said, it's, it's on Fox tonight, I think so. Um, it won't be uh, the yes call, but at least it'll be on a, a regular audience that would usually see it. Yeah, that's for sure. The other thing here, I feel like, I mean, obviously, you've, what we see this year is incredible. This is probably the all-time greatest bet-on-yourself season I've ever seen because you might win the Triple Crown. He's going to have a record-setting home run campaign here. I mean, like, I feel like with what he's done, the next contract he has, has I feel like, has to start with a three in terms of the overall value of the contract. I feel like he's got based on a $300 million player. I mean, all credit goes to Judge because he really took a bet on himself. And I'm not the craziest guy to to say, talk about his injury history because I do think a lot of it, it's not like, you know, he got hit by a pitch and, you know, he, he got hurt and things. It's not like he had nagging injuries that just crept up. It's just it's something that took him out for the season. So I'm never one to be like, he's an injury-prone guy, right? But the fact that he bet on himself and said, you know what, I'm going in as, like, end-of-the-year free agent and put together one of the best seasons in Yankee history, which we all know how far back that goes, and he's just been that great. Um, all kudos goes to him. All credit goes to him. Uh, it's been a tremendous season. I'm one of the first guys to admit, I think I also tweeted this the other day, I thought 2017 was going to be his best season, and not that he wasn't a great player. He was just that great in 2017 as a rookie. But, I mean, this year blows it out of the water. And he has to command something over $300 million uh, over the life of the contract. The years are going to get interesting because of his age, but he bet on himself. He proved it. He's proven it. I mean, he's been great as a Yankee, um, and it's time to pay the piper. And it's, I, I think the Yankees have to call him up and give him what he wants, whether that's years. That's going to hurt at the end, probably. Um, the money shouldn't be a factor. I feel like they should give him monetarily what he wants. I think he sh- they should go, you know, maybe not 10 years, maybe six years, but still give him that $300 million, which sounds crazy. But, you know, you got to make up for it one way or another. But, you know, he's the face of – the franchise for sure as soon as he signs if he signs he'll be named captain um he's probably the face of baseball at this point and uh he's somebody you want long term he's gonna give make the yankees money hand over fist regardless so i think at this point you just got to give him what he wants i totally agree with you right there i mean i know yes that the giants already talk about oh we have money we can make a run and he's a california native you never rule the mets out anything with how much money they have but this is like, there are some guys you just can't let go. I feel like the Yankees cannot be outbid on him under any circumstances. No. I mean, it would be, I mean, you, you know, you give the home, a home field edge to the Giants, right? Because he's from there. And, you know, they did come out already with, with a couple statements. The Mets are super interesting to me, especially because, you know, you ask around and, and, and it's not really a guarantee that Jacob DeGrom goes back to the Mets, right? So they're going to have a lot of money to spend on top of the fact that Steve Cohen would spend it even if he brought back Jacob DeGrom. Uh, so they're looming large, and I think they're breathing on the Yankees' necks. And that's something that I don't think Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cash, and the Yankees as a whole, I don't think they want uh, the Mets to come with a, with a godfather offer and say, listen, he can't turn it down. So um, like you said before, I, I think Judge wants to be a Yankee, I think. Um, I, you know, the Yankees want him back. It's a great match. I think, like I said before, they they, they just got to give him the money and make him back. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about the rest of this lineup here because obviously they've been dealing with injuries for a lot of the second half. I mean, when Matt Carpenter went down, it was really sort of the big impetus in the lineup here. But guys started to get healthier. I mean, John Carlos Nan is back now. Glaber Torres is getting hot again. Rizzo should be back, getting back into form here. And DJ, DJ LeMay, he figures on his way back. Harrison Bader just got back. Like, what do you think the ideal lineup is here for the Yankees in the playoffs? You know, what's interesting is that I really liked this lineup that they put out uh, during the Pirates series. Uh, they ran it back yesterday as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure um, Bader and Oswaldo Cabrera just give this team that speed, athleticism, youth, defense. They give them a lot. Um, granted, you know, uh, they may not uh, be top flight hitters, right? But somebody like Oswaldo Cabrera been in the league a month now. And so the at-bats he puts together. Is something that I don't think you could not have in your everyday postseason lineup. He may not get hits, but he's working the count. He's seeing pitches. He's setting the table for the next guy. So I think he's a staple. And on top of everything, he's a great defender at multiple positions, right? 
he's been doing it all. So I think he's somebody that has to be there. Like I said before, Bader is somebody who I think pencils him right into center field. You know what you're going to get. He's a guy with postseason experience. Um, and then, you know, then you're going to get into the fact, all right, DJ LeMay is coming back, but is he going to be fully healthy? I mean, he's been dealing with that toe for a long time. So we don't really know there. Carpenter was a big reason behind their earlier success. Is there really a spot for him, though? I mean, Stan's going to be the DH, and, and Carpenter was the DH. You know, I know he played some outfield, but really he suited his DH. But if you have Judge, Bader, Cabrera, right, center, left, there's no room for him. Uh, so it's going to be interesting there. It's going to be a tight squeeze. I mean, Donaldson, somebody who has had that experience in big moments, you know, he still could get it done at third base. So you want to keep him there. Uh, Glaber, like you said, has been getting super hot. Um, and it seems like they're not going to move ITF. So uh, I, I think that what we're seeing is going to be that postseason lineup. And I know that's crazy with DJ coming back. And, you know, he's such a proven commodity as a Yankee. But I also think at the same time, I'm not sure even when he does return, he's going to be fully healthy. So um, I like the lineup. Uh, again, there are some upgrades. You know, I'm not the biggest IKF fan. I think you could get more value out of playing a, um, an, a you know, Oswaldo Cabrera at shortstop and then getting Carpenter in the lineup with putting Stan, some, you know, like figuring that out. But uh, I do like the lineup that they've been putting out the last two days, and I do think that's what's going to be the lineup come playoffs. Absolutely here. Let's go with the bullpen, too, because the bullpen, I feel like, is the big question mark here. I don't really feel like they have a – Sure thing, a closer right now because obviously started with Chap. They went to Holmes. They all had injuries. There's a lot of guys on the men, guys coming in out here. Like, who are the guys you feel like they could trust the most in that bullpen in October? I mean, you you, you want to start with somebody like Jonathan Weisgall, who co- has come back and has been really, really good for the Yankees. I know he's had some slip-ups, but he looks like the pitcher of old that, you know, that people thought could be the closer. Um, Ron Marinaccio, I mean, he's somebody who, again, young, but he's been getting it done all season long. I mean, it's not, you can't say it's a fluke or just like a one-month thing. He's been doing his thing for a while. Wandy Peralta, you know, he's somebody else who has kind of gotten on the radar but had a really strong 2022 season. But you still have to, you know, you still have Chapman, you still have to play homes. You have these guys still under contract, still going to be pitching in big moments. And, you know, we saw the other night Clay Holmes didn't really have it. And he's had a, like, a real tough second half. Uh, Chapman, too, has been kind of all over the place. Those are guys you're going to have to rely on. Um, it's going to be tough come postseason. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll move Vermont to the bullpen. We'll see with Severino. He may move to the bullpen for the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be interesting with the top names that you expect to rely on are the names that have really been inconsistent. And it's going to be interesting to see where they stand in the pecking order because you know they're going to be used. Um, it really just depends on where. Yeah, for sure. And right now, I think they're in six spot in the season in terms of like standings wise because they're they're, they're going to come into a playoff spot probably the next like day or two at most. They probably could wrap the division up as soon as like Monday when they head to Toronto because they're the closest team right now. They're still seven up in the loss column here. Where where they are behind Houston, behind Cassidy Astro, the home field leaders. So, great point, maybe like middle next week where these games really don't mean much for the Yankees here. So, what do you want to see out of these last two weeks of the regular season? I, I think what you want to see out of this team is just kind of putting it all together, right? So the lineup has been, pitch, uh, has been hitting well. The pitching has been good, you know, but then you see a couple of slip-ups from the bullpen. Um, and also before, I forgot to mention Scott Efron. He's somebody who's coming back to uh, um, with him. I think he may be activated tonight. Britain's also on the men, so those are guys you can rely on. And just bringing that into what we're talking about now, they're guys that you want to acclimate now so once the playoffs do come, they're, you know, ready to go. And you want this lineup to keep going as they're going. Um, just stay stay the course and just keep doing what they're doing. Um, pitching too. I mean, th- this recent string of games has been really good for the Yankees, and I think it's something where you hope they just continue that ascent. No one thinks, I don't think at this point, that they're going to be like they were in the first half, but they're also going to be better than what they showed after the All-Star break. So you just kind of hope that um, they stay the course, keep playing strong, um, and you know, while they may not be dominant, they're just on that upward trajectory as they head into the playoffs. And I think that's something that they've struggled with in the last few years where, sure, they've been that juggernaut team, but they haven't had the best momentum going into the postseason. And that's something that the Yankees as a front office really believe as being hot going into the playoffs is a reason why they have struggled and, and have been eliminated before they won. So I think as long as they enter the, the postseason on this upward trajectory, it should only mean good things for them. 
Yeah, I agree. And right now, they looks like they're going to be the two seed in the playoffs here. I mean, they'll get to buy the ALDS. I mean, they get either the the Guardians out of the Central or one of the three wildcards. Where Whoever's the six seed, they end up beating the Guardians. There's Toronto, Tampa Bay, or Seattle here. Is there, like, one particular team that I feel like would be a bad matchup for the Yankees here? You would not want to see them play in that first round. It's funny because I think when you mentioned, you know, you said the, the Guardians, the Mariners, the, the Rays, even the Blue Jays, um, all give the Yankees ha- have given the Yankees fits at certain points, or they have attributes that do. So you know, of course, the Yankees have success against the Mariners in the playoffs. It's like a running joke between them and the Twins that the Yankees just kind of beat up on them. But their pitching staff is super strong, and they have some proven players. I mean, obviously, Julio Rodriguez is somebody who um, you know is a rookie sensation. But then you look across their lineup, and you look at somebody like Carlos Santana, who may not be having the best success this season but he's he's a playoff guy he's been there for a long time you know whether it was with the guardians uh or, or other teams he's, he has that playoff experience and speaking of the guardians they're another team who the Yankees have matched up with recently they're consistently a playoff team they have strong pitching and they have really good um a really good deep lineup that has that experience and then the rays you know the rays they always just no matter who's on that roster it's like whoever puts that uniform on they're just ready to go and, and play in the postseason and show up in big moments. So no matchup is going to be easy for them. Um, I want to say the team that I, I prefer them, I guess, to not see are the Rays, just because you see them so often. They know how to play against the Yankees. Um, they, they find that success no matter who is playing on their roster, like I said. But none of these matchups are going to be a cakewalk. I know it's a first-round playoff um, series, and you know you expect the Yankees to get out of it, but they're facing, they could match up against some very good teams. So um, a lot of good pitching, uh, some good hitting. So I, I don't know what would be the best matchup for them. Yeah, I think I agree with the Rays, probably the one who you don't want to see. Because I mean, the other, I mean, Toronto, I feel like they haven't played the playoffs in forever, if at all. So, I mean, that's one that you could say, okay, like, they don't, they don't know what to get out of them. Cleveland and Seattle say, okay, like, they haven't done it against the Yankees in a big spot. Tampa has gone into the Yankees state, like Yankees house in the playoffs. So, you know, like, we're not worried. We can beat them. They've beaten them in big spots. So, like, they were the one team I don't think of not be afraid of the Yankee mystique in October. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the Blue Jays, too, which I forgot to bring up. I mean, they're a team. They had a ton of expectations, and they really haven't met them. So, I just think, like, in a, in a mental capacity, I'm not sure how being in the playoffs would go. But, like you said, the Rays are just – I think it's – you know, when you see a team – so often during the regular season and you have a great manager and a great front office who just, like I said before, could just put together. It seems like every year they just got new players that could step in and and do their thing. So I, I, they're just a team that you never want to see. And they just seem to be that, you know, that shadow behind the Yankees where all the Yankees have the biggest payroll, but they kind of want to be like the Rays where they have the analytically strong front office who they can find players wherever. And they just seem to always give a fit. So and, 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 you know, you think of last year and the last couple of years, how the race have been. So, um, yeah, it's just I, I, they're not a team that I ever want to match up with if I'm the Yankees because they're they're that shadow that's just always hanging over the Yankees. Yeah, my last question is this, because this year has been so wild with them. You could see scenarios where, you know, like they get hot, they win it all, they could end up flaming out in the first round here. If the latter occurs here, like, do you think this is the case of, oh, we run it back again? Because I feel like that seems like they, they just keep boom the contract again. Cash is tied to Boone. Do you think they just run it back, or do you feel like there's actually major change here? If something this team start off so hot ends up losing the DS. It's interesting because my gut always says, you know, maybe time to try something new, right? But we've had these conversations. Me and you literally have had these conversations since, what, 2018, 2019, where it's like, okay, they're supposed to win. You know, they get far enough. They make it to the ALCS. They make it to the ALDS, whatever it is. And – for one reason or another, they just come up short. So I think last offseason, even though, you know, they went into it saying, you know, the shortstop is a big area of need and there were a ton of shortstops available and they won with IKF and they, they said one thing and kind of did the other. But um, I, unfortunately, and I don't know if a lot of Yankee fans want to hear this, I think that, you know, the Yankees believe that they have one of the best GMs in baseball, one of the best coaches in baseball, and it's on the players. It's not on the, the what they're doing, right? So I think that they're going to run it back with these guys and they'll just maybe retool one way or another. I'm not sure what they would do, right? Like in terms of, you know, who they would replace or how they'd upgrade that is something that I'd have to look at, you know, once, once that offseason gets there. But I, I think based on history, 
which has been they keep running it back no matter what. I have to assume that they're, they're, Boone and Cashman will both be back in 2022 no matter what happens. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, if you follow you on Twitter, I'm sure they want to keep up with what you're tweeting during the playoffs. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, so you can just follow me uh, on Twitter, Dan J. Federico. Been slacking on the writing, just, you know, real life kind of gets in the way of stuff like that. But I try and stay active. I keep my ear to the ground regardless whether I have a platform or not. So, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. And, um, you know, hopefully soon we'll get some, some writing uh, out there. And, and, yeah, just stay active. So, yeah, as of now, Dan J. Federico on Twitter. All right, Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Of course, Mike. Pleasure as always. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number three here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Welcome back. I am your host, Mike Phillips. Joining me today... One of my good friends, co-host of the Sky Guys podcast. We'll be talking to him plenty in that coming months and or out here. But we're going to talk about his Giants first here. Nick Fred is here. Nick, how are you? Oh, yeah. The Giants. Forgot about that. I was ready to do picks. Forgot about the Giants. It's been so long since the Giants have been relevant before, I, you know, even at the end of September that this is this is a shock to me that we're getting to discuss this seriously. Yeah, I mean, we are getting discussed this series. I mean, obviously, they win the opener against Tennessee. The Carolina game, I feel like there was a mixed bag of emotions coming in. Some people saying, oh, you know, Carolina's not good. We should win this easy. Then you got the other side of the Giants saying, oh, you know, hold on. Like, let's not get ourselves in a trap here. Close game throughout. A couple of plays could have swung either way. But I think the thing I like of this game of the Giants is I, had, I said earlier in the podcast, two big numbers here was the they forced the two turnovers. They're plus two in turnover margin. It was a big deal here. And they held Panthers two for 12 on third down. I think those are the two things that won in the football game. Definitely. Definitely, but this season is not about wins and losses. Obviously, it's fantastic that they're two and zero and have a chance to be three and zero, considering they're our favorite in the game. But it's not about wins and losses; it's about the culture change, and that's we talked about this intensely on this podcast back in January, December, when they let Gettleman retire and they brought in the new GM. And I was ranting with you, saying that it wasn't about losing; it was about the change in culture, which we saw in Week One. Going forward on that two-point conversion for the win, even if they didn't get it, that's what they needed. They needed someone who has the, excuse my French, the balls to do something like that and not kneel on their own nine-yard line. That's what they needed, and that's what they have, I think. They have a general manager, a front office, who's not afraid of a computer, doesn't mock a computer. They have a coach who goes for (laughs) it, goes for the win. This This is what they needed, even if they don't win. It's a step in the right direction. But you know what? They are winning, so let's take it while we have it. Absolutely here. And this is one thing. I mean, obviously, you know, two, the most important number here for the Giants is that they have two wins, and they are one of three teams in the NFC here on the fear, and I'm with Philly and Tampa Bay. And obviously, look at their schedule. You see a lot of games that they're capable of winning here on it. I mean, they still have Jacksonville, yeah. Houston, Detroit, Chicago's coming in a few weeks. Dallas is here without Dak Prescott here. I mean, uh, the talent-wise, people question it, but, like, do you buy what this team is doing here? you think they can, you know, hang around the fringe of the wild card races here? At I do. Yeah. I do. I think their schedule is easy enough where they could do that. I even thought that going into the season, I didn't think they'd be two and zero after the first two, but I mean, I thought they'd probably be one and one. They just had Tennessee. Honestly, the only difference is Tennessee missed a field goal. But I mean, when you look at the schedule, you mentioned it. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, at least maybe eight more winnable games on the schedule. Not that they'll win eight, but I wouldn't be shocked if they won eight more games. Yeah. They like what you mentioned. You have Dallas, Chicago, Jacksonville, Seattle, Houston, Detroit, and then all these division games. Yeah, the Commanders twice. Yeah, you never know with a division game. You never know what the Eagles look fantastic so far, but you never know. It's a division game. You never know in a division game. And they play the Colts. Who do the Colts suck? Looks like it. Yeah, I, I it's slow on the Colts because the Colts always start slow. They do. So I, I'm not convinced that the Colts suck, but they might. And yeah. if we, they do, and they're two and fourteen, and we're playing at the end of the season, yeah, yeah, win so, that game. Yeah, I mean that's the way I look at it right now. Is you know, like I know everybody's saying, obviously, oh, you know, get the quarterback, tank for the picks. You know, like you have a new coach, you have a bunch of young guys who want to prove themselves in the league. You know, like good at they're going out there, and this for me, it's a positive sign. I say, hey, it's like I have a good coaching staff here, and then when I get them better players, I can really do good things. Definitely. I mean, I, I see the point. If you don't lose, get the quarterback, then. You might get stuck in no man's land for a while, but you know who else was stuck in no man's land for a while? The Bucks. Yep. And then they got Brady, and then they won. So who's to say that we can't stay in no man's land for two or three years and then 
Who knows what quarterback becomes available? You, you never know. There's rumors Lamar Jackson might be available after this season. So Tiki Barber even said that he thinks he can go to the Giants. So I don't think it'll happen, but it's not out of the question. Yeah, let's get to this Monday night game here coming up against the Cowboys here. I mean, obviously they have the setup here where no Dak Price after this game. Cooper Rush played for the Cowboys last week, helped them beat the Bengals here. Bengals are off to 0-2 start. Dallas comes in 1-1. One one. They are underdogs in this game here. Like, what do you think the Giants have to do to win this game? Because obviously, I mean, the quarterback situation is pretty even. I think the rest of the roster-wise, you would still give the Cowboys the edge. I think they need to run the ball well because that's something they didn't do really well against Carolina, but they are able to sneak a win out. Barkley ran all over the Titans, and that made and that was awesome. He didn't have a great game against Dallas, and he doesn't have a great – excuse me, against um, Carolina. If he doesn't have a great game against Dallas, they're not going to win because they're going to pass rush like crazy. Dallas is great at that. They're great at getting to the quarterback, and if you let them know you're passing because you can't run, they're going to get to him so many times. And we all know what happens with Daniel Jones when he gets under pressure. He drops the ball a lot. And if you drop the ball, you're going to lose. So you got to run the ball well so you can set up play action. And if they don't run the ball well, they're going to lose the game. Absolutely. Here. We'll see what happens with the Giants. We could be a very exciting Monday night football game here as well. Let's get to the reason here to the picks. Our good friend Nick D'Alessio was here last week. He went one and two on the week. He went heads up and me, took the Patriots, laying the point and a half, got that right. He wasn't going to win with the Ravens, getting th- laying the three and a half until they collapsed the fourth quarter. So he lost that one. So always you get the Bears. He had to took him plus 10. Then the referee side, uh, just feels not score. So you're not get that one either. So one and two for Nick. I like his picks. I, 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 you know, I was with you when the, when the lines came out and I was like, oh, the Steelers jump on the Steelers. And then I realized as the week went on, I forgot to tell you, I texted you this on Sunday. That was a line to me that made no sense. And what do you do when the lines make no sense, Mike? Yeah, you you, you listen. You do the exact opposite yeah. of what you think is right. And that's what, that's what I did. And I, I, I did take the Patriots and, one that line still made no sense but that's what happens yeah so my picks i went one and two on the week i like i said i had the steelers laying the one getting the one and a half i lost that game i took the bengals laying seven i think they were going to no show in dallas the one i got right here the jaguars plus four against the colts so that streak of the jacksonville dominating the colts in jacksonville continues you could have took minus 21 you would have had that one yeah that one shocked me i thought they would be close i didn't they would dominate them and blow it out outright I had a great week with the with the picks, so I'm, I'm looking to carry my my momentum over to this week here with you. I was I I was long, I was wrong on all Monday night and Thursday night, whatever. But all the day of Sunday, I was nine and four, so I was very good. I was very happy with my Sunday. Yeah, let's see if you can bring some of that mojo here because I'm the year Teen Challengers two and four. I'm also two and four. So both off the slow start. So let's kind of get this thing going here. So we'll go ahead here get to some picks here. You're going to be up first as the guest. Pick number one. Where are you going? The floor is mine? Yep, the floor is yours. All right, my first pick, I'm going to take the Bills, and I have it at minus six. You agree with that, Mine. All right, so I got three reasons for this here. The Bills have won seven straight against the Dolphins at an average score of 19 per game. They've won nine of the last ten against Miami. Josh Allen's only lost to the Dolphins once in his career, his rookie season. The Dolphins are also 0-9 in their last nine games against a quarterback whose last name does not have an O in it, which is, a, which is true. And they're 11-0 when the guy does have an O in it, which is a true stat. How ridiculous it is, but it is true. And with the Bills, the way they're dominating the league right now, I'm going to keep giving points until they prove me wrong. Can't argue with that. Where are you going now for pick number two? Number two, I'm taking the Bengals. They have minus five. You agree with that? Yep. So... The big bet, the big problem with the Bengals so far this season has been the offensive line. And yeah. it was a problem last year, too, but it didn't get exploited. The Jets are 30th in pass rush dating back to last season. Bottom five in every defensive category. Dallas and Pittsburgh are both top five pass rushing teams. I don't think that the offensive line gets ex- gets exploited this week. And I think the Bengals go back to what they do. And I think this is a great get-right opportunity for the Bengals and a revenge game that they lost last year in Jet Life. Yeah, I disagree on that. One. I thought there's more talent on that pass rushing unit than the numbers that gave the Jets. I think Carl Walsh is healthy to revenge game factor there as well. Like, I would have to stay away. I feel like the number is just about right. So we'll see. My last pick, I'm taking Denver at home plus one and a half. I think that this comes down to if the Broncos are who we thought they were, they need to prove it now. This team is a fumbleless drive away from my last Monday night from being 2 0. People don't seem to think that. I know they haven't looked as good as people want them to, but 
Their D has been incredible. It's one of the top three defenses in the league right now. And they're very, very close to being a 2-0 team. And I, I think if they were a 2-0 team, this line would be minus two if they didn't fumble in the, in the red zone. So I like Denver bouncing back and becoming who we thought they were going in. I really think that they're a fumble away from the whole narrative, or the opposite of a fumble away from the whole narrative changing on this team. All right, you're on the board. I'm going up now. Pick one. I'm going heads up to you in that game. You're taking the 49ers, laying the point and a half in Denver here. And this is for me. I don't trust Daniel Hackett. He looks like he's over his head as a coach, and he doesn't seem like he has an idea what he's doing. Russell Wilson seems like he's clueless right now how to make the thing work in Denver. They're really banged up on the receiver room. They lost a bunch of guys there. The 49ers had Jimmy Garoppolo back under center, and I feel like that's going to really stabilize that team because we're not doing much with Trey Lance before he got hurt. Jimmy G has limitations, but he knows how to win with this team. They have the talent to win with this team. I feel like the locker room is behind him. I think the 49ers are going to make a big stage here, so I'm going to go heads up with you on that one. We'll see. I mean, I think the Niners definitely have a much lower ceiling with Jimmy, but a much higher floor. All right, that's pick number one. Pick two, another one we're going to head up here. Taking the Dolphins, getting the six points in that game against Buffalo here. I do think that it's something you didn't factor in here is that going to South Beach in September is never easy for a football team. He's not conditioned to it here. I think Buffalo, short week, long flight. They know the Dolphins play very well. They beat up Baltimore. Two or time ago, had six touchdowns here. They had the firepower go up and down the field with Buffalo in this game. I think six is too many divisional road games for me to, to take here. So I'm going to take all those points with Dolphins. Like I said, I'm going to keep giving them until I'm proven wrong with the Bills. All right. Pick number three for me. The one where we're different here. I'm going to take the Chargers laying seven at home against the Jaguars. Week. I feel like this number is too low because I think it's an overreaction to A, what Jacksonville did this week against the Colts. It was a great force by them. Also by the Chargers losing in Kansas City here. Chargers are sitting at home for 10 days, stewing in this loss. I know Herbert's a little banged up here, but Nick, are the Jaguars really flying across the country and putting up a close effort in this game? That's something I have to see them because I can see them getting all the headlines this week, all the clips saying, oh, you know, we're so great. We beat the Colts. We're on our way up. We can win the division. Go out and lose by double digits in, in L.A. against the Chargers. So, plus, the one thing that works against the Chargers is the home field advantage. There's not a lot of Jags fans flying out there. So, this might be a rare, true home game for the Chargers. So, lay the seven. I like the pick. I, I think the Chargers had that game. If it was six, I'm all in. The seven is just what scares me. Is that crossing over that magic number scares me. Yeah, I feel like for me, this is just more, I feel like this is where Jacksonville goes on the road, like, gets like, oh, happy-go-lucky, and then they end up losing by double days. They go back home to what happened. Okay. All right, so to reset the picks here, Nick is going with the Bills laying six against the Dolphins in Miami. The Bengals laying five in MetLife against the Jets. The Broncos getting one and a half on Sunday Night Football against the 49ers. We're going heads up on two of those games. I am taking the Dolphins plus the six, the 49ers minus the one and a half. I'm going to lay the seven with the Chargers. Those are your picks for week number three here on the podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to be joined by good buddy of mine, Charlie Boris. We're talking about the Buccaneers and the whole Tom Brady situation here. I feel like that's like gotten some wild stuff happening off the field. Definitely. Definitely. It's kind of crazy that they're 2-0, and too. It just doesn't even seem like it, right? Yeah, I mean, you, all you hear about Guys getting hurt. Tom Brady might be sleeping on somebody's couch and not being sleeping, staying in a separate house from Giselle. But they're two and zero. They they got a winnable game this week as Green Bay is been up and down so far, and they got the big game against the Chiefs next week. Well, let me ask you this: if if you had a fourth pick, where would you go with it? If I had a fourth pick this week, and I, and yeah, if you had a fourth pick, where would you go with it? I have an answer lined up. I just want to see if what you think. This was this is a tough week to be honest with you because like I there a lot of these there's a lot of good games in this window. There are. I think this is a very I, I you know one thing that jumps out to me. I think the uh, uh you know um my pick for the fourth one would be I would take the Falcons going to Seattle and I think that line when I saw it last was plus two and a half. Now it's even. So I guess the public agrees with me. Yeah. But my reasoning for that is. Seattle, I think, is clearly the worst team in the NFL after these two weeks. And I don't think they're getting the credit of being the worst team because of the same reason I took Denver, those fumbles in the red zone. I think this is a team that had a good quarter and a half to start the season with Geno going 10 for his first 10. And since then, they've get like three first downs total. I, I think Falcons can score points, and I think Seattle cannot score more than 14 points in a game. And I think they're going to lose it. I think I'd do one more pick. I'll take the Saints line the three in uh, Carolina. And if I had another one on top of that, I would take the Ravens. I think that the Patriots suffer from the same thing as Seattle. They're not nearly as bad. 
I think Mac Jones has proven to be a disaster. I've, I've been saying that for a couple of months now. I think Mac Jones is an absolute disaster as a quarterback, and the Patriots offense can't do anything. And the Ravens will lose a game if they let up 38 points. But I don't think if the, I don't think the Patriots are capable of scoring more than 20, and I think the Ravens are definitely scoring more than 20 in this one. So I, 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 that's another game I would take. I mean, let's put it this way. Do the Patriots have anybody on the level of Tyreek Hill or Jalen Wall on their roster? Nope. They're not winning that game. Yeah, I don't think the Patriots can put up enough points to beat the Ravens. Absolutely. And, Nick, people can also hear us here. This is Andorf Mirror Week on the uh, on the, on the the podcast over the Sky Guys here. We're going to be dropping in, uh, the episode recaps in the main podcast a couple of days after we record. We're recording on Thursday this week because we have a little scheduling here. But it's going to be in the Justin and the Suffering, I mean, the Sky Guys feed on Friday here. So give, give the audience a quick tea. What do you think of the premiere? Yeah, so at the time of recording, I have seen the episode. So has Mike. And actually, Pete has as well. He's not joined us here, obviously, but he'll be with us tomorrow. But uh, I like them both. It's not quite what I expected the show to be. It's more grounded, if that makes sense. And that's the perfect term for it. It's more grounded. It's slower than I would have thought. But you know what? This is a 12-episode season, and I would like that with a 12-episode season. If you told me this was a six-episode season, I'd tell you this is a disaster. But this is a 12-episode season, and I'm excited to what comes next. Yeah, I'm going to get the mildest of spoiler alerts for Andy and the Mirror to give you a sense of how grounded we really get with this show here. So give me this quick spoiler warning. You have not watched any about Andor yet. Basically, one of the things we see in the first episode of the premiere is we basically get the visualization of a droid looks like a fire hydrant getting peed on by an alien dog. Yeah, we get real life brothels in Star Wars too. Yep. We got we got impl- we got implied sex scenes. We have a lot of like we have regular people. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It's not like involving the first family of Star Wars. Yeah, and I think it's very welcome. But we'll be in, we'll, we'll you know, if you want to hear more about this and you want to hear this in detail, check out it'll be on this feed too. But check out the Sky Guys, and we're gonna recap those episodes. And then each week going forward, we'll do the the episode of the week, which will be one a week going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Here and uh, Nick, I also recommend people watch all three in one city because if you, if you stop, watch one and come back, you're not gonna want to come back. Yeah, agreed. They 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 don't really have much of a. Oh, this is episode two, and that was they all blended together to me. It seems yeah. like one big movie. Yeah, it's the casting so, and the origin story. Yeah, essentially, it's how we got started, and now we're gonna find out. I guess how we merges or molds into that Rogue One character in the next couple episodes, maybe even next season. Absolutely here. Nick, if you want to follow on social media, how can they do that? Uh, Nick Fry underscore nine. And uh, you can find me there. All right, Nick. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. The two minute drill. All right. Two minute drill time. We talked about this whole Robert Sarr situation a few months ago on the podcast. We got the reports about all of the terrible misconduct going on in, in the Phoenix Suns organization. The NBA finally got its report done. They suspend him for one year, fine him $10 million for a series of what the NBA is calling, quote-unquote, workplace misconduct and organizational deficiencies. What does that mean? According to the NBA's report, here's what they found out. And this is just, you know, top of the list here. They found that Sarver used the N-word at least five times in two years in the workplace, so great job. He told a pregnant employee that she couldn't do her job correctly after becoming a mother. Stellar. He made off-color jokes about sex and female anatomy. He cursed out his employees in ways that considered bullying in the workplace. Sounds like a tremendous man to work for. Initially, the NBA was trying not to force him to sell the team. They basically said, you know, we couldn't find anything in terms of racial animus. The outcry was enormous. Chris Paul from the Suns himself said the league didn't go far enough. LeBron James said the NBA definitely got this wrong. After a few days of taking the heat and all of this, and you wonder how much work Adam Silver is doing behind the scenes here, we heard that Robert Sarver is putting the Suns up for sale. And that includes the Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, who are the uh, WNBA team that he also owns that is in the market in Phoenix. And you take a look here at what's going on from Robert Sarver. This is, by the way, this is a clown statement he has. I will read you a section here of what he says here. This is from the Phoenix Suns PR Newswire. Words that I deeply regret and overshadowed nearly two decades of building organizations that build, brought people together and strengthened the Phoenix area through the unifying power of professional men's and women's basketball. 
As a man of faith, I believe in atonement and the path of forgiveness. I spent the commissioner's one-year suspension to provide the time for me to focus, make amends, remove my personal conduct in the teams that I and so many fans love. But in our current unforgiving climate, it has become painfully clear that it is no longer possible. Whatever good I have done or could still do is outweighed by the things I have said in the past. For those reasons, I begin the process of seeking buyers for the Suns and Mercury. So in other words, it goes on to a couple more fluffy things here. Put it this way. I don't think he regrets his actions here. I think he regrets being found out and being forced to sell. Because basically, he's blaming cancel culture for why he's forced to sell the team. Robert, I'm sorry, dude. You're a horrendous human being. And the fact that the people in that organization don't have to work for you anymore, that's going to be a blessing to everybody involved. I think it's going to be a big boon to that market because he was not a great owner. We heard about disgruntled, like some players are with that situation. We heard about all the chaos there. With that market and a billionaire owner coming in with flush with cash, they could do a lot of damage in Phoenix going forward here. I think it's also good for the league because this sort of, again, would have been a bad present to set, especially after Adam Silver, and basically his defining moment, forced Donald Sterling to sell the Clippers after the tapes came out of Donald Sterling making the racist comments. And it was a forced sale. There was definitely a lawsuit involved, but Sterling did make out nicely. He did get $2 billion from Steve Ballmer to sell the Clippers. Robert Sorry figures they get like at least $2.5, 3000000000 billion of the Suns. So he's not going empty handed. He's not getting he's not getting the privilege of owning the, owning the team. And it is still that. It is a privilege. It's not a right to own an NBA team. This is probably the best outcome for some of the other owners in the league who would have been in a tough spot because they either go on the record defending Sarver's actions or calling out and saying, you know, make him sell and create some division in the locker room. This is probably the best outcome for all parties involved here. So it's a good ending for Phoenix here. We will see like if this inspires other owners to sort of clean up their acts, if there's stuff going on. We'll see what happens there. But all's well that ends well here. And then I want to end this show. I want to thank my guest Dan Federico for coming on to talk all about the Yankees. Definitely a good conversation. Also want to thank Nick Fry, you heard just a few minutes ago doing the week three NFL picks. A lot of fun stuff there. If you want to work on stuff like this podcast, who am I owed to Roger Federer? Retired last week. I wrote some words about his career, his legacy to the sport of tennis. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. It's Andor premiere week here. We have the Andor podcast dropping in the Sky Guys feed tomorrow. It'll be in the Justin and Suffering feed over the weekend, but if you do not want to wait for that, hop on the Sky Guys feed, same as the other podcast platforms. You can search for it there. You will find the Sky Guys. You search for it. Again, Sky Guys podcast on all the popular podcast platforms you mentioned at the top of the show. You can also follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're going to... Continue our baseball coverage. We're going to talk about the Mets. They have a big series Atlanta coming up here that could turn in the NL East. Do our week four picks and more. So they have a better week than the Browns fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.